0: hello and welcome to the functional tennis podcast with me your host fabio molle every week i speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis both on and off the court about the game and how we can all get one percent better every day at what we do as an ex-national team player i know exactly how tough this can be so i'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the Functional Tennis Podcast, I met coach and former player Gianluigi Quincy. In our conversation, Gianluigi described how the mental challenges, media attention, and pressure he received after becoming a junior Grand Slam champion impacted him in the early part of his career. We also talked about Gianluigi's work in the Piatti Tennis Centre which I was lucky to see him in operation a few weeks back. And I asked him how difficult the transition from junior to pro can be. It was a really interesting, honest conversation. So I definitely recommend going back and listening to it. This week on the podcast, I meet Amanda Jane Napier Owens, a leading sports and performance psychologist. Amanda is also a former ranked tennis player with over 25 years experience and a pioneer in the field. As I've just alluded to, Dr. Owens has a phenomenal CV and was a pro tennis player herself. She was the first female sports psychologist to work in the Premier League. She worked extensively in other sports such as cricket and rugby, and she was also on the British Olympic Association. We learn more about Amanda's great resume and work. Work within tennis soon in the show. In our conversation, we talk about how early we should introduce pressure into the training of tennis juniors and how we go about doing this. I ask Amanda how to get fired up before a big game and if it really improves performance. Amanda gives some really fascinating insight into why anger isn't effective in tennis, and we also discuss the science behind the dreaded yips and how players can stop it from happening to them. But before all that, let's get to know Amanda better and the work that she does. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Welcome to the Function Tennis Podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me on, Fabio. I'm very excited about this.
0: Uh, It's great to have you on. It's been a while since we had a sport and performance psychologist on the podcast. The last one we had on was, I'd say about 18, 18 months ago, two years ago, we had uh, the psychologist of Iga Schwintek was on Daria who we did a great episode with her so we're hoping for a great episode with you with plenty of insights you have more experience than her you've been 25 years doing this you played tennis yourself you had a world ranking uh, so really excited to hear but maybe you can tell our audience firstly how you describe yourself and what exactly you do
1: I think it's a really privileged position, really, to be able to help and um, enable players, people, coaches, um, everyone really, to to be better and to understand themselves better, especially under pressure, uh, and uh, to enable players, coaches, athletes alike to have processes and learn about processes and interventions and strategies so that they can improve their tennis performance or life, especially regarding... I think preparation, uh, pressure, confidence, um, anxiety, what else? Expectations, uh, resilience, um, underperformance, mistakes, um, and obviously the good old tennis thing of, of emotions—that uh, mood and emotions. That tennis, as a tennis former tennis player myself, mood and emotions. My goodness, um, you know it impacts tennis as we know enormously, and it's about understanding how. And, and which emotions work best for you individually, because we're all different. And certainly, what what mood is the best mood for you individually to play at your best, and to get yourself in the right mood. And also, that's linked into intensity of focus, as we know, and understanding mood regulation, emotional regulation on court, and understanding that sometimes you do need to be more fired up. But it's it's understanding how you do it. And and as sports psychs, we work with players and coaches and and people are like to improve their I suppose self-awareness really and also behavior emotional responses in pressure situations understand what pressure is to that person and understanding how behaviorally and emotionally we respond because we all respond differently we have default response mechanisms I hope that kind of in a nutshell, so to speak.
0: The lot go- <laughs> the, the, there's a lot going on there, but uh, we're going to break them up into the different areas. But the first thing I want to ask you is, I know you've worked with a lot of athletes of different types of sports. So maybe uh, you can just give us some examples of the sports you've worked with. So I was
1: one of the, I was the first uh, female sports psychologist to work in premiership football. Um, I was the Southampton football psychologist and worked with Gordon Strachan. And that was back in, gosh, 2001 for a season. On a year contract, and then I, I was brought in to work uh, with Surrey County Cricket Club, Essex County Cricket Club. So prior to that, I was the LTA sports psychologist, lead sports psychologist, and worked with the ATP men's squads. I was the Middlesex Lawn Tennis Association official sports psychologist for 10 years and had the privilege of working with many GB players. And uh, I was the official sports site for the men's ATP squad, which was a real privilege and honor. And that was based at the old LTA site at, at Queen's Club. And obviously, I played at Queens and was a member at Queens for a number of years, over twenty odd years. And I uh, played still at national level until I was forty, and uh, took the training on a Sunday. And yeah, uh, I'm very proud of that. You know, I I, I aligned it with working at highest level, um, but still played nationally and got paid to play, which was lovely. Yeah, until till my early forties. Obviously,
0: I'm still twenty five now. But anyway, yeah, that's... of course, if you're on video, you'll see that.
1: Yeah, and also I've worked, gosh, I've worked in a number of sports. I've I've worked uh, in GB snow, uh, skiing and snowboard as the lead sports site for a number of years. I've worked within premiership and international rugby with Worcester Warriors, Leicester, Leicester Tigers as consultant. I also was a consultant for Liverpool, working with injured players. I was formerly on the British Olympic Association for 14 years, and I worked on five Olympic cycles, just under five Olympic cycles. And I worked in various sports there. So I worked in, gosh, canoeing, boxing, tennis, triathlon. Yeah, and I've got I've got a very good, obviously a huge understanding of pressure at the highest level. So a lot covered a lot over the twenty five years. Yeah,
0: there's definitely a, a lot of uh, yeah a lot of sports you've covered, which is great for the experience and learning about different people and different sports. And i was speaking to a friend of mine during the week, a really good friend of mine who's a tennis coach here in Ireland. He would have worked in the national squads, top under twelve, under fourteen, under sixteen players. He had a question for me to ask you. It was all about pressure and pressure situations. And the two questions are like, how can you introduce pressure into practice sessions, real match pressure on a Saturday training session with these kids? And, and how old should they be when you start introducing this?
1: This is a great question and interesting. This is something that we are um, covering at the moment, as as you know, with a colleague of yours who very kindly recommended me to this podcast, Um I believe early very early um, I mean we're doing some work here in Somerset and obviously in London as well <laughs> um, and with the top players I think it's under eights really it's got to, it's got to start really early it's about a level of engagement it's got to be fun though at a very young age and it's about introducing not that they're It's introducing pressure, but in a different way. So the perception of it is different. It's not about causing distress or stress. It's about understanding excitement, bringing in engaging players to bring out emotions like excitement, like fun, like confidence. And I and it's something I noted down actually a bit earlier. Is it's applying the sleekman Perma model, developing resilience at a very young age. So to answer your question, I think absolutely from eight upwards how to do that, I think you've got to look at your group of players you're working with. you've got obviously it's about understanding the players, understanding the personalities there and as a great coach, you know any coach will have a better understanding of the players. so it's it's gauging what would be suitable in regarding points, matches, making it fun but also enabling them to understand that actually what they've experienced could be and is a pressure situation. And it's enabling them to know that A, they've accomplished it, B, they've mastered it, C, what they did and how they did it. So it's about them being in the present, focusing on the ball, focusing on the points and enabling them to the outcome to be more engaged, to understand about different intensities, even at you know, under eight, under 10, in a fun, engaging manner. And, and you know, introducing, absolutely introducing points and, and games and, you know, making it competitive in a respectful manner. I actually, and I, I, I say this passionately from the heart, but I hope I can mention Tim. I think Tim Seymour's doing a great job in Somerset. And um, obviously, he's moved down from Surrey. And, you know, I think it's incredibly important as a sport and performance psychologist and a former tennis player to introduce competitiveness. In in a in a healthy manner, children at a very young age need to understand how pressure affects them, but not not so it has a negative connotation. So that it's exciting, it's it's engaging. They they learn from it, so it's a learning experience. But it's fun. Pressure can be fun, and it's their perception needs to change. So you know, my concern is pressure should not be perceived as threatening. It needs to be it needs to be increment, incrementally increased. And, and you know, throughout the age groups, however, you know, at a very young age, yes, absolutely. Players need to understand about pressure, about intensity of focus, about resilience in a very basic manner. However, they can learn. It's about learning and learning to be better and learning how to cope and adapt in pressure situations.
0: Can you give me an example how for an eight, nine year old, you can teach pressure. It can be fun and yep. To help them understand it, what is one example a coach can go out and use with their grade under nine, under ten kids today?
1: I would say you know, like the figure of the old-fashioned figure of eight or down the line cross cross-court drills, um, but putting adding points in there and enabling players to play against each other and building up rallies and and confidence. However, adding points in and then and then playing games adding games whereby they're perhaps behind. I wouldn't say perhaps for the under eight, but definitely for under tens, under twelves. It's about them, it's challenging them in a healthy, safe environment. However, for them then to, you know, gather around and discuss, not at length because you want them to be hitting tennis balls. However, enabling them to be more aware of their response and what they did and how they were focused and what they did and whether, you know, what kind of pressure situation that was for them because we're all different. Some players thrive in it. Some players do not. However, it's bringing those players that do not up to the level that they can deal with it in a much more healthy way. So adding points, making it fun, being creative as a tennis coach. Come on, we can all be creative in in a good way on the court, but making it competitive I, I think, yes, you, they need to understand about about playing matches, games, even if it's short sets, but making it competitive in, in the points situation, putting them under pressure, two against one, three against one, how they react, putting them perhaps behind, like two, four, one down and seeing how they, they cope. Maybe not under eight, I agree. I think under 10, under 12, yes, absolutely. But making it fun, the fun element, the engagement element needs to be very high and the they need to understand as well, and they will about their experience of, you know, what was, in, what did they, which points did they think were important? There, obviously, they all are, but uh, which ones were critical? Which ones did they need to turn it around and adapt? How did they feel? Were their emotions? Were they nervous, excited, scared, fearless, happy? You know, what what kind of emotions were there as well, and how can they adapt that and make it work for them and 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 improve? so that they can be more excited more engaged more focused and learn to i suppose go through the gear changes i'm going to talk about later which which is all about self awareness and emotional intelligence at a young age but also about developing resilient behaviors
0: and should there be consequences oh, <laughs> um the, sorry this, that ultimately that's ultimately what drives the pressure when there's a consequence when it's I don't know, do some burpees, some press-ups. There could be money on the line. You know, yeah, yeah. there's a consequence to losing. And, and it could be your first round match, it could be your first ATP tour point, your first tennis euro point. So I think we all need some sort of a consequence. It's really hard to build that pressure up inside you without there being an actual consequence here. And that's what, ultimately, the question was about that. How do you bring that match pressure, that really high match pressure Onto the practice court, and I think there has to be some sort of a consequence. Now, a fun one, also.
1: I know. I, I, I completely agree. Um, yes, there there does need to be a consequence, and obviously we need to align this with the age groups. So yes, I mean burpees, running round, um, star jumps, press ups. Yes, and 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 or skipping. I mean, so there is a consequence. Yes, because they understand that, you know, they need to step up, and also you know it's it's understanding how they deal with perhaps losing the points or the the games, the mini matches, changing their behaviour through, yes, there needs to be a consequence because it's about learning to be better. It's not actually a negative connotation. I don't want it to be a negative connotation so that it promotes fear. That that shouldn't be the case. It's about enabling, right, okay, well, you know, let's make this count. Let's get my intensity level up. Let's really engage. Let's really be focused. Let's understand how to do it, when to do it and what to do. That's the key, what to do. And that's where sports and performance psychologist works with a coach very closely and myself come in to play here in in the how and what.
0: While you just touch on it there, and I had it in my notes here as well, I talk about ways to get fired up. Uh, Me personally, I'm a player. I play better when I'm fired up, when the intensity is higher and everything just works better. But sometimes to get into that state of mind is really hard. You may be a little bit tired. You just can't get in there sometimes. And it's a bit of it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation as well. Like the better you play, the more fired up you can be. Or uh, you should be more fired up to play better. But what sort of tools or how do you get players to get fired up? Is it Does it just have to come from them? Or is there certain things that can activate it?
1: I would say it's about, again, understanding about one's mood state, what you need to get in the right mood, um, and understanding which emotions work for you. And, yeah, absolutely, we're all different, and that's the key here. So if we take Andy Murray, for example, and how you know he has worked with the sports psych, and to great effect, however, he understands that he he needs to be fired up at times, and it it, it works for him. And certainly players do need to understand. I, I always compare it to, like, you know, five gears on a on a gearbox in a in a car or you know, whatever car you've got. <laughs> maybe it's electric or not, but but uh I have got a gearbox in a but an old fashioned five if
0: it's electric.
1: I know I know I meant uh I I meant uh, yeah five an old fashioned five gear box. Uh and we need to understand how to go through the gears with um emotional regulation and mood state and understanding how to be fired up. So if music works for you, what kind of music gets you fired up for? And understanding how to put that into your preparation. Understanding whether, you know, perhaps you need to use breathing techniques. I, we, I use a five breath breathing technique that's quite in depth. It's, it's from yoga and from uh, taking the Alexander technique. So it's enabling, you know, to regulate emotions, especially if, if the player's feeling overly anxious all too tense. out mindfulness techniques. So what I mean by that is is going through very quickly, I might add, these aren't take 10, 15 minutes to do, it's like immediate. I see, I hear, I feel, I notice, I imagine. Very quickly is perhaps when you're collecting balls, going back to the back netting, what do you want to be seeing? What do you want to be hearing in your head and externally? How do you want to be feeling? What do you want to be noticing when you're hitting the ball? What do you want to be imagining when you're hitting the ball? What do you want to be seeing? Literally, the ball, your foot, your you know, where the ball's going. So it's really in the now. It's really in the present. And it brings the player back from overthinking, which we don't want in tennis, as we know, it doesn't help. Being paralysis by analysis, which tennis players, unfortunately, do have a habit of overthinking, especially when they've made a mistake or they've lost a couple of points. And what we know as well is, you know, you, one needs to a player and a coach need to work together to understand, to reduce. The number of points lost. So you don't want to be losing three or four on the trot. Okay. You need to change it and adapt immediately. So using the Gestalt mindfulness techniques, breathing, also a physical trigger to get you in the here and now it might be, you know, it might be clenching of the fist or it might be slapping your thigh or it might be just squeezing a tennis ball. It could it could be anything, but you, you make it your own to, to to change physically your your state. And then it's about kicking in an emotional trigger and and then a behavioural trigger. So literally you see, you know, a lot of players now I've noticed have really got into their behavioural routines. So, you know, whether it's Nadal or, or Djokovic or, or Anne Murray or some of the female players, you know, it's, it's about understanding what works for you. But you need to be able to change and, and understand which emotions, if you need to get fired up, you need to get fired up and how you do that. Serena Williams and Venus Williams used to read motivational quotes on a little piece of paper that he used to have in a racket bag, if you remember, and take them out at, at changeovers to, to reignite, I guess, their intensity of focus. Also, it's about tactics. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's little things that can really make a difference. I think as well, personally, I think it's very much about preparation. Tennis players are very individual and quite ritualistic about that. It depends what works for you. Music obviously has a huge impact. Dr. um, Costas Karajorges, who's a colleague of mine, has done a lot of research over the last 10, 20 years on mood and emotions and music and how music impacts performance. So, you know, have a music playlist to get yourself fired up. Understand how to get yourself fired up during a match if you need to. Conversely, how to lower your mood and lower your emotional state. If you're getting too fired up and it's impacting your performance in a negative way, i.e. frustration, anger. We know that anger is not helpful in tennis because it creates the the, uh, hormone, the anger hormone, cortisol and stress rate, the stress hormone cortisol. And, and then it, it creates kind of a more of a panic response and it affects a tennis player's decision-making, where any athlete's decision-making. And obviously, you've got to have a clearer head. You've got to have a very clear head as a tennis player, indeed as a top athlete. So at even a young age, it's understanding that if you get too angry, A, it can be addictive, B, it doesn't help decisions. It, in fact, impacts decisions. So you're less likely to hit that beautiful backhand down the line and, and build a point, you know, and find a way. You're less likely to do that.
0: You mentioned Andy Murray. Uh, Obviously, we watch him playing. He gets frustrated. He shouts at his box. He might break a racket. As a club player, that's not something you can do. You've no box to shout at. There's nobody there watching you. You can't afford to break rackets. And plus, you're not setting a good example either. So yeah, for me personally, the challenge is, how do you do that without doing those negative things? And there are things that would there are times where rackets have been broken either sh- you know you let off a big scream and they can help they get the engine going they get you up through the gears but it you can't you can't do that all the time uh, and it's just finding out other ways it, it's about is it really about testing all these other techniques and seeing if any of them work for you also
1: yeah absolutely and Obviously, as one as one grows older with more experience, it's about tapping into that experience and focusing on games or matches or points or shots even that you've played really really well and remembering that at change change changeovers as well as reverting back to your game plan. All tennis players you need to discuss with your coach or think about how you are going to play against your opponent it may seem basic. However, some players do not think about enough about how they're going to play and, and the players' weaknesses or indeed their own strengths and have that tactical approach and focus psychologically as well about okay, right. Well, I played against this player really well last time. I didn't perhaps do this as well. I need to do this better. And more so about, you know, matches, games, experiences that are positive, you know, that that oh I I hit, you know, after the 20-shot rally, I hit that beautiful backhand cross-court winner. Let's dig into that memory and experience. That can, that can induce and really positive emotions get one fired up in a very simplistic way, not necessarily, you know, I'm not condoning here, Fabio, smashing rackets. I do not condone smashing rackets or bad behaviour. However, it is necessary sometimes for players to shout if they need to, as long as it's not obscenities or, you know, if they need to get, fired up, not every single point, but it's about understanding what works for you. And sometimes we, you know, we all need to get fired up a bit more. And and you know that it's the old-fashioned self-talk. Cricketers do it an awful lot. Cricketers do a lot of self-talk. You know, they're talking to themselves all the time or their batting partner if they're in a long, you know, in a partnership. They're chattering, they're self-talk, they're reasserting themselves, they're refocusing. So tennis players need to do that and I know Andy's received a lot of criticism here for his mutterings and his, but however, you know when he's so in the moment, that's his way of of getting mm, himself fired up. Yet. And I'm not condoning you know obscenities or breaking breaking rackets at all. However, it's about understanding that some players are uber calm. We get the the, the um, Roger Federers in this world who, but whoever in their teenage years were a little bit temperamental, um, but learnt to adapt and and sort of erase that from their I suppose, their behavioural response and, and learnt to to become very composed and calm. So it, it's understanding that, you know, you can learn to be calm and composed and you can learn these things. I'm very, I'm very passionate about everybody can learn. Everyone learn, can learn to be different and improve and working with who you are as a player, as a person. That's key here. So it's understanding, yes, of course you need to understand that we all we need to raise the intensity of focus at times in matches and lower our emotional responses depending on you know critical moments in matches, understanding what those are, understanding what which emotions work for you and the how. So yes, absolutely. Tap into those great matches, tap into those great shots, tap into those rallies that work, and remind yourself. So that is a positive an experience that evokes a positive emotion that can get you fired up. We all know, if I ask you, okay, Fabio, when, you know, look back over your tennis career, what tennis match stands out for you? And do you get those goosebumps that go, are there any particular shots as well? You know, come on, tell me about that. Yeah,
0: maybe not shots, maybe some good wins, some maybe some close losses as well where you overachieved and, you know, you, you were match points, you didn't win, but you never expected to be there. That gives you motivation to be able to do it again. I think th- there's no real one shot that sticks out, but just quickly thinking about it now, this is on the spot here, but it's more, I've often thought about I've thought about it similarly, but it's always matches where obviously you've won, or two, you've been very close to winning, and that's given you a lot of confidence moving forward, saying, look, I can do this. You know, Just how do I get back to that state again? That's the challenge. That's what you're looking to do. You know you've done it and how do i get back to that state so for me that's that's what i look at
1: absolutely and i think that's a great example and and also understanding how players can learn from and use repeatedly if they have been behind in tennis matches we know tennis is like an emotional roller coaster and it's understanding how to manage those emotions but moreover it's about it's learning how if you're behind in a tennis match it's not over it's about how to dig in and find a way and claw your way back and remembering and tapping into the times that you have done that. And yes, you experience lots of different emotions. However, in tennis and in sports, that's healthy. It's how you, how you deal with it, how you deal with those moments and learning from them and knowing, right, okay, I've done this before. I can do it now. I can do it now. I'm going to do it again. And having that self-talk and knowing which emotions you need to tap into at that moment. Also, just quickly going through, you know, I'm, I'm seeing myself. I'm seeing the ball. I'm 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 hearing myself uh, exhale as I hit the ball. That's sorry. It's another technique. Just simple mm. stuff. You know, breathing out as you hit the ball. How how many of us forget to do that when we're under pressure? What does it sound like? Can you actually? Can you? Could you hear the sound of the ball on the racket strings when you were playing? That's a question for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can still I can still hear it. The more I think about this, the more I see. I was. In this, in the state of frustration or in a state of being fired up, the body's the exact same. It's just mental. It's your mental triggers are totally they're complete opposite. But the body's in that fired up. I think when you are fired up, cortisol maybe not as high as uh, when you're angry or that, but there's still level of cortisol there that fires you up. So I see the yeah. body being quite similarly it's just how your mind sees it sees the world in that specific time. So if you can get your mind in this positive view looking back good memories, you know, going through the gears that all of a sudden your your energy's going the right way.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's it's also, you know, I can do this. I am doing. I can do this. I am doing it being in the present. I have done this before. And and Okay, it's very different for perhaps under eights, however, it's it's in, installing these learning mechanisms and, you know, I tap into and talk about a lot now about metacognition learning and about how we can learn differently and adapt. And certainly at a younger age, it's about it's about in, in instilling this in you know, a metacognition learning and, and understanding how to how to adapt, how to take these little, you know, gems of, well, you you know, you were four-one, three-one down, and you came back and won four-four-three or four, five-four. And you know that that's brilliant. How did you do it? What did you do? Even at a younger age, and you know, it may take them a little while to get there. However, it's enabling them to recognise and know and feel great about it. So, if we revert back to the perma model with Sleekman, it's about understanding that's measurable about accomplishment, about establishing mastery, and and. You know, and and techniques and and resilience, um, resilient behaviours there at a very young age. However, you know, it's also little bits of, okay, so your intensity was lower. How do you know when you're playing really well? What what's happening here? And and how can you get up from one to a five? And I know tennis, we love in tennis having our little, you know, our grades, don't we? From one to five. You know how how focused were you? You know what kind of intensity, folks? Were you number one or we five? Well, that's great. I want to know how players can adapt and get better and what they can do and what we can do as sport and performance psychologists to enable them to be more consistent under pressure and to turn it around. So it's about, you know, there's no mystical tools here. It's about working with the player and the coach with the person you're working with to understand, yes, okay, if you need to be fired up, yeah, absolutely. How do you get yourself fired up? and we don't have very long in tennis, it's like cricket, you know, it's got to be very quick, it's got to be momentary, and it's got to be practised. So coming back to your points, it's got to start at a very young age, it's got to, you know, grow, be incremental, and yes, players need to be exposed to pressure situations. We We cannot produce top tennis players, or indeed life skills, if you're not exposed to competitiveness, to winning and losing, to understanding, you know, sometimes tennis is, it's a great sport it's cruel (laughs) it's a it's a mental battle and it's about changing the way you're thinking and learning to do that but more importantly i think we forget in tennis that it's very emotional and it's understanding that there's a disconnect between your head and your body and your heart and you and the way you breathe the way you think the way you feel and that's the difference we've got to make it all synchronized it's a it's a crazy
0: game This is a really interesting point here from Amanda. It's so easy to fall into the trap of the body versus the mind. That, as Amanda says, we think there's a disconnect between the two, but the mind and body are one and the same. I think great athletes understand this and like how they've got great control of their body, they also have great control of their mind most of the time and they're able to bring the right emotions to the court at the right time to speed the game up slow it down be aggressive be strategic top athletes control their emotions and they don't let emotions control them Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. This is just a quick reminder you're listening to Functional Tennis, the podcast that helps you get 1% better every day with me, Fabio Molle. Coming up on the podcast, Amanda and I talk about the dreaded yips, why they happen to so many players and how to try to stop it. I also ask Amanda if more athletes should take a break from tennis to repair their minds after a difficult spell like they would if they had a physical injury. But first, I wanted to learn why it's so common for players to lose their serve once they finally get that break at 4-all in a set. Let me describe this situation to you. Many players go through this, and maybe you can give us some ideas on how to handle the situation a bit better. But we're playing a match. It's 1-all, 2-all. We're both holding serves, 3-all, 4-all. You get the break, 5-4, and suddenly you're broken back. And that happens so often where you finally make the breakthrough and then you lose your serve. And you've been holding your serve so easy all the way and all of a sudden you lose it so easy. What exactly goes on in your mind after you've got the break and then you're going to serve and throughout that game you lose it easy?
1: That's a really good question, and also, I mean, it happens a lot as we know in tennis. It happens a lot in cricket. I mean, we we see in cr- cricket, unfortunately, a lot of players, batsmen, get out just after tea, or just sorry, just before lunch, just after lunch, or just after tea or before tea. Um, and in tennis, it, it's I was obviously it depends on the player. However, it, there's a pattern here of relaxing one's intensity of focus. Okay, yeah, I got the break. I got the break. Being ahead, and then suddenly it changes. The momentum changes, also mentality changes, and so rather than that intensity of focus about wanting the break, getting the break, being and and knowing that that level. So what you're talking about earlier about being fired up, I bet bottom dollar that player who's just then lost his or her serve, his or her intensity of focus has dropped. Nice. So yeah, and and then also you know rather than being so in the moment and being fired up. They're not fired up. They're like, oh, that got the break, and then they're not concentrating on on or focusing on what they need to be doing in in the here and now. And just building a point. So they're starting to think about, oh, I've got a break I'm now, five four up, one four three up. No, 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 no. It's it's literally coming back to that moment, to the point. Okay, where's the ball going? What am I doing? So it's coming back to that. I'm seeing. I'm hearing. I'm feeling. I'm noticing. I'm imagining. Now I'm aware of what. What am I doing? What do I need to do right now? What do I need to do right now? So, literally, just you know, let's stick to my game plan. Or you know, what what's what's my opponent doing right now? Right? Okay, I need to adapt. I need to change this. I need to up the intensity. Not you know, right? It's full three fighter. I've just broken. Yay! Okay, sudden drop of intensity. Sudden loss of focus. Because that player is not focusing on their game plan or intensity of focus on the right emotions and what literally they're doing right now, just create, you know, building the point and where the ball's going. And are they placing their opponent under pressure? I bet bottom dollar they're not because they're more focused about they need to stay up and be 4 3 or 5 4 up. Mm.
0: Yeah. So stay in the moment is what you say. Understand the situation and stay in the moment.
1: And stick to your game plan. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, and another area I want to talk about is the yips. I'm not sure if this falls under your realm, but we see many professional players. Uh, Sabalenka famously, a year ago, over a year ago, couldn't make a serve, was hitting 15, 20, 25 double faults a match, and it happens so much at the amateur level as well, the junior level. What's going on there? And how can you overcome the situation in your head where you, you just doubt yourself? You tell yourself, I just can't make serves. You're hitting a second serve and you're like, I'm going to double fault here. And it becomes a big, nasty problem that's hard to move on that sticks with you long term also.
1: Bessie, yes. Um, it's, I mean, I, re- I remember the uh, Hannah Manukova Wimbledon final many, 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 many years ago. Um, shows my young age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, yes, it, it's it's not a phenomenon. It happens a lot with players, um, and it's about understanding that again, it's when the situation takes over, it becomes too too large, and and anxiety kicks in. Obviously, at a very extreme level, so that it becomes a chronic anxiety response. Um, that's when the player needs to bless them. They need to really. Pull themselves away from that moment of they being overwhelmed, being aware that they're hitting so many double faults. They need to change it and adapt. Absolutely, going back to basics. Absolutely, breathing techniques. If it's chronic anxiety, you know it, it there needs to be an intervention, whether or not it's. This is where you know gestalt mindfulness techniques come in. Visualization helps. Key processes. They need to go back to processes. Obviously, if they haven't worked with a sports psych, it's learning processes and having tools there that can help. And changing the emotions again from being overwhelmed from, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do another double fault to I know I can get this in. However, you know, they need to do that. So just it's simplifying, 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 gaining the ball in. I'm not suggesting doing underarm serve. I know I've seen that in in professional uh, matches a few times. However, it's about they need to reset and it's understanding how they do that. However, changing, overwhelming, I mean, having a feeling of chronic anxiety is the most awful thing. You know, quite a few tennis players do experience panic attacks and and chronic anxiety due to pressure situations. So it's about enabling them to, I suppose, lower the red flags of, okay, what the triggers here, understanding the triggers and working with them on the practice court, and in, and in match situations, so that they have the processes and ability to deal with this a lot better. And I'm not saying it won't happen ever again. it uh, one hopes as a sports psychologist or a sport performance psychologist, we we enable them to recognise when it starts happening because it there is a build up and then it can suddenly happen because it can just be triggered. However, it's 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 simplifying some processes. Breathing techniques are. You know, we know that meditation works. We know that if you've got visualization techniques, it's about lowering your heart rate. It's about managing that anxiety response. So it's a low, lower risk level and, and enabling them to, to, to change their state. And of course, we don't have very much time in tennis. So. Perhaps at that moment, they do need to take, you know, have an injury timeout to enable them to change their emotional state and to manage that anxiety response and enable it to be more manageable so that they can then continue playing and then get there. It's about rebuilding confidence, resetting their focus and changing, shifting their focus from what they're not doing and the emotion response. So that it's shifting it from an, um, an anxiety response to a, I suppose, what we we're talking about earlier. To a right, I can do this to a more confident, stable, control, we can. I can control this and I know what to do. It's terribly difficult. It needs practice. However, you know, tennis players can develop skills and work and learn how to overcome anxiety responses and certainly the ips. You know, I've worked with many players over the years who've successfully overcome the ips. It's not an overnight thing. It, it takes a bit of time and it's certainly a lot of practice but it's also understanding the triggers. It's understanding your own emotional responses and, and and putting in place behavioral responses at the right time. I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. You mentioned the word time out there and many times we get injured or players get injured and you're forced to take a timeout. You have to take two weeks, two months, six months away from the game. And then you slowly start rebuilding your body to get back to your, your performance level. And But what we don't take and probably there's stigma around as well is a mental timeout where, you know, you're overloaded, you're anxious and you're, I don't think people like to take a break because of that and say, look, yeah, physically I'm fine, but mentally I'm not. So I'm going to take a two month break here and I'm going to spend time on getting my head back in the right place Mm -hmm. that I think there's a, I players from my knowledge would feel like, Oh, I'm going to go backwards if I do that. Uh, and would you agree with that?
1: Um, no, I I think that obviously a number of players now that we have you know Osaka took time out, um, mm. and you know we we've, we've recognised that tennis players and athletes alike need to rest and recover. I think there's a huge pressure on players to play so many tournaments and competitions year in year out, and you know we know and I know as a former tennis player, you know, the intensive training. And commitment and sacrifice required is enormous. So it's it's about understanding that when you when one gets to that stage, then you know you need to understand it's just not a physical response; it's a psychological response and cognitive response. And it's about being overloaded and burnout. And burnout, you know, it's pretty complex. Uh, and it's about taking recover, rest, and recovery, and incrementally returning back to competition. But making sure you get sufficient rest and recovery properly so that the psychological pressures the expectation the intensity as well because playing on the circuit and and the training competitions the grand slams but even at even at a younger level and and you know an amateur level it can take its toll so it's understanding that we all need Rest periods and recovery periods. And this is where, you know, over the years I've, I've worked and developed um, a psychological response to periodization. And, you know, for years and years and years, periodization has been mainly a physiological program and approach. However, I think that, you know, it's, they align themselves, the psychological aspects and, and the physiological aspects. So it's understanding that we compete for tournaments. However, we need to understand as well that we're, as a human being, we need to add in which players and tennis players in particular, cricketers and Olympic athletes are doing really well now, which is why we're so successful at so many Olympic games and we're producing so many great athletes in all different sports, whether it's tennis, rugby, cricket, um, and the Olympics with rowing. So it's understanding that, you know, rest and recovery is utterly key here. So, you know, but yes, if, if you're experiencing chronic anxiety or you've experienced the rips, It's okay, there isn't a stigma anymore. Many, you know, many players have talked about this, you know, and the mental health of the player is incredibly important. And you need to make sure you've got the right support network, you've got a support network in place, get a team around you, take some rest and recovery and some self-care here, and take some time out so that you can rest properly, you can, you know, re-energize, and also you're not having you haven't got that foggy feeling or foggy head and You just feel uh, overwhelmed and it's too much and you're not enjoying training or you're not enjoying matches. Take time out. It's really critical for one's mental health, but also for your rest and recovery and for, you know, your
0: tennis performance. Mm. No, I, I did recently see a post from Gabri Muguruza who said, I'm taking some time out to spend my family. I'm going to miss the clay court seasons. That's a few months off there. So it must be, um, I don't know the exact details, but it could be a mental thing. But uh, my, my last question to you, Amanda is a question I ask all my guests. It's a little bit different to what we've been talking about, but it's, uh, we ask our guests, what advice do you have for our listeners to get 1% better every day?
1: I think it's it's looking at what where you want to be in 5 years time and also thinking about what you have achieved and what you'd like to do better more of or indeed the same but just small 1% increases so whether it's an improvements whether it's getting up earlier whether it's it, it's going on the tennis court two or three times a week and and Recognizing that your intensity, of focus, engagement could be better. How can you do that? Okay, and and asking questions. Ask more questions of your coach and sports psychologist. And learn, read, listen to podcasts. But also take some time out. Take some you time out. I think rest and recovery is critical here. And understanding, yeah, how can you sleep better? We all can sleep better. Don't look at your phone before you go to bed. (laughs) Literally, before you go to sleep. How can you, you know, train better or just Hit that. You know, are you are you aware of the sound of the tennis ball on the racket? You know, are you in the moment so you can you can listen to the sound of the ball on the racket? And are you aware of, are you are you exhaling when you hit the ball? Simple things that can make a difference and improve and you know make some time for you and and learning and also something I haven't spoken about is reflection. Okay, I'm not saying overanalyze. We all can learn if we reflect a little bit more about what worked in our tennis session or coaching session, how it went, how engaged we were, how focused we were, what kind of emotions were elicited and, and evoked today. I'm feeling really happy and excited and very honoured I'm on this podcast, so it's been, it's been great. What have I learned? You know, it certainly made me think again. It's made me reflect. So what, what take-homes, what, what three things can I learn from today that I can apply and be better for tomorrow?
0: Mm. that's the whole idea of this podcast is what can people learn what you know if they take one thing away from this listen to this then i feel my job is done and once they can apply it moving forward so yeah manda thank you very much for jumping on Uh, it was great talking to you and getting loads of advice there there's definitely more than one thing in there and hopefully our listeners can yeah take that advice and use it to to play better to teach better to be better in life so thank you very much
1: Cheers. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a real honour. Thank you.
0: That's the end of the show for today. Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming on the show. I learned a lot from today's episode and we definitely could have extended our chat. So hopefully we'll see you back on the podcast in the future. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week on the podcast, I speak to tour coach Mark Gellard. Mark works with Magda Lynette, who's currently ranked 19 on the WTA Tour. He's worked with her since she's been 100. So he tells us, first of all, about how he got into tennis. We also talk about him being Martina Hingis' hitting partner. But then he tells us about how Magda has risen through the rankings, what's different from being a top 100 player and a top 20 player, and also the little things that have changed in her career to get her there. Really interesting chat with Mark, which I so much, you're going to love it, and I will see you back next week. Bye. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at the Functional Tennis Podcast. And with me on Twitter, FabMall. This podcast is produced by one fine play. James Bishop is the executive producer, Connor Foley is the series producer and editor. I've been your host, Fabio Molle. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.